All right, please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4. I was thinking we'd be out of this chapter, hoping that we were going to be out of this chapter uh, last week. Uh, and we, I was going to try to cover five or six verses, you know. Uh, and we got to verse 13 and finished that. But uh, uh, Lord willing, I wish we'll be out of it this week. We've only got a few verses, uh, 14, 15, and 16. Uh, and I want to back up, though, for a moment so we understand the gist of what Paul is saying to Timothy, a young pastor. God has something for you uh, this evening. Always come with expectancy of saying, okay, Lord, uh, you know, help me understand your word and, and speak to my heart by your Holy Spirit. You know, I can't tell you how many times I preach messages through the years and somebody will come up and say, that really ministered to me when you said this. And I'll be like, a lot of times I'll remember what I said. And I'll say, yeah, pr oh, praise God, you know. But sometimes they'll say that and I don't remember saying it. And I don't think I said a lot of times what they thought I said. So I think a lot of times God just takes his word and he speaks to people's hearts by his Holy Spirit to bring, you know, some kind of application uh, to that because we go through so many scriptures and sometimes people confuse with how they leave convicted about certain things with what I say at times. And I just think that's really neat because, uh, you know, that just shows how the Lord works in, in just amazing ways, you know. But in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is writing to a young pastor uh, named Timothy and he's instructing him as how to, how to guide the church. So we learn a lot about church and some about church government and what the church is supposed to look like and how we're supposed to be in the church. And we see God's will for us in the church, whether you're in leadership like Timothy was or not in leadership like those Paul is instructing Timothy to minister to because that would be every Christian is getting edified through this book because we see what we are supposed to look like as the bride of Christ. Amen. And we are being fitted uh, for his eternal kingdom. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse, uh, well, we looked at verse 10 a few weeks ago where it talks about Jesus being the Savior of all men, especially of believers. And then we picked it up last week. Verse 11, prescribe and teach these things, meaning that Jesus is the Savior of all men, but especially of those who believe. And he, in other words, he died for everybody, but... Uh, he's a savior, especially of those who put their faith in Christ. Uh, and then in verse 12, we looked at that. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. We spend a lot of time on being examples and how important it is that we're, ex we're examples. Amen. Our lives are being watched. Your lives are being watched by the principalities and powers by demonic forces, uh, that, and by holy angels. And we give testimony as to the grace of God because angels aren't saved by that grace. They're being watched by non-believers. We talked about that last week, how our behavior is supposed to be excellent among the Gentiles. Your behavior is being watched by other believers. And uh, we're supposed to be an encouragement to other believers in the way we live our lives. Amen. So we talked a lot about that, and specifically speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. We talked about all those things. And he says to do this, verse 13, until I come, giving attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. So Paul is telling Timothy, and you get an idea in the first century of how God set up the church. And Timothy was the uh, leader of that church, and he was called to give attention to the public reading of Scripture. What are we doing, by the way, tonight? We're doing the public reading of 
Scripture. And that's how it was meant to be. And every God-fearing, true, biblical church will give attention to the reading of Scripture. Uh, many churches today, they don't read much Scripture. They might mention a verse or two, and that's really, really lame. Really, really sad, you know, because it's left the church, church uh, weak and bereft of truth and biblical knowledge and power. Uh, and it's heartbreaking commentary on the church today. But uh, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. If you are looking for a church, make sure, and you're not here, but you're looking for a church because you're watching by live stream. Because I always encourage our live streamers, if you can, try to find a church still. I know it's hard sometimes. Uh, but make sure they give attention to the reading of Scripture. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy to do. To exhortation. And by the way, a lot of commentators will say he was talking about just the Old Testament because only the Old Testament Scripture was written. But I proved last week, you have to go back to that message. I'm not going to take a lot of time to talk about that. Uh, but I showed that uh, Paul was actually quoting Jesus' words as Scripture uh, in, in Timothy as well, where he says, a worker is worthy of his wages. He's quoting Jesus. Uh, the gospel, it shows you the gospel of Luke or Matthew, because it's in both those gospel accounts. One of them, at least, if not both, were already written when Paul wrote this in the 60s before he died. That's good apologetic evidence when you're witnessing to somebody. Oh, well, the New Testament was written. The Gospels weren't written until you know, 200 years later, which is ridiculous. They used to say that all the time. But the church fathers over and over again quote the New Testament in the sec early 2nd century, mid-2nd century. So really good apologetics there, a good evidence when you're sharing with people that Paul quotes Jesus from the Gospel of either Luke or Matthew. And it's interesting. He says, give exhortation. I'm sorry. Give attention to the public reading of Scripture to what? What's the next word? Exhortation. Exhortation means warning or admonishment, you know. If you're looking for a church, and, uh, you know, most of you found one if you're here. Uh, I've never, ever looked at our, uh, <laughs> I've never looked at our reviews of Blessed Hope, you know, uh, Blessed Hope Chapel, the church. And I, and, but I was looking like, I was trying to remember where I left off the exact things I said. So I don't hardly, I hate looking at my old messages, you know. But I thought, I'll just go to the end and see where I left off because I couldn't find my notes because I had my other Bible. And, uh, and I'm like, where exactly? I don't want to repeat anything that doesn't, you know, warrant repeating. And I thought, I'll go look at the very end of that message. And I saw there's like 50 reviews or 46 reviews or whatever it was. And I thought, oh, you know, I never looked at these reviews. Being the pastor of this church, I should probably look at some of the reviews. I didn't recognize 90% of the names. I know a lot of the names here. But people just loving on the fellowship. I thought, that's great, you know. That's beautiful that they're uh, loving on the fellowship. But uh, it was just interesting that, uh, that when you, you look at how people look at a church, and I was like, Praise God, the way I was reading the reviews is the way it's, I've envisioned, I've prayed that our fellowship would be, you know. And Steve, are you the one that responds to those reviews? Okay, who's responding to those reviews? I wonder, maybe it's Tony. Tony. Tony knows he's over in Tennessee, but he still watches all the time. We love you, Tony. Good job. Steve does a good job, too, but when he answers people. But I thought that was, that was great. And uh, Anyway, uh, but it's important that we are a fellowship that gives warnings. Otherwise, we're not doing our job. And then what does he say after that? Give attention to exhortation and to what? And teaching. Teaching the Word of God, you know. Teaching sound doctrine. What does the Word of God say? What does it teach? Amen.
So uh, let's move on. Uh, and then he says, and I think this is important, uh, verse 14 is a verse we have not looked at yet. And I wanted you to look at those other verses because he's telling Timothy to be an example in these things, right? And so the same thought is being conveyed uh, as to how Timothy is to not let anybody look down on his youthfulness, right? And now he's showing, hey, Timothy, if you live like this, you'll live in such a way where people will not be able to come down on you. Well, they won't be able to say, well, he's so young, and that's why he acts like this or that. No, they'll say, wow, he's a young pastor, you know, but wow, he's mature, man. He's strong in the Lord. God's using him to his glory. And whether you're young or old, you want to make sure you're being used for God's glory. And these words that we're reading and we're studying are so critical for that. Verse 14, do not neglect, do not neglect the what? The spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Presbytery would be the church leadership. Paul actually laid hands on Timothy as well. Uh, in fact, we can look at a couple different uh, verses and see, get a little more insight into what he's talking about here. Uh, but understand that we do believe in this fellowship, in the laying on of hands. Uh, it was practiced in the New Testament. Some say that was just something the apostles did and that we're not supposed to lay hands on people. That's not uh, scriptural. Apostles laid hands on people for sure. But here we see the presbytery, you know, uh, the other elders, as some translate this, Mounts, who's a Greek scholar in his commentary in 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, translates this body of elders, this particular Greek term here, the body of elders. Uh, so certainly the apostles laid hands and prayed for people, but elders, and, and I believe as Christians, we can pray for people and lay hands on them. Uh, we can lay hands on them when we commission them, Say we send them out on a mission trip, right? You can lay hands on them. And, and uh, sometimes God uses laying hands. It's for sure encouragement. But also sometimes God, through the apostles especially, uh, was in the apostolic sense, was transmitting even spiritual gifts. That's debated. But when I look at the passages, uh, even some of the passages we look at here, it seems like it's beyond debate, you know? Uh, because he says specifically here, verse 14, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the what? Laying out of hands by the presbytery. Now, when they commission, now I said it's also for commissioning. Sometimes when we have somebody that's going to go on a mission trip, you know, say they're going to go for a long-term mission trip, we'll lay hands on them and pray that God would protect them, that God would empower them, that God would strengthen them that God would use them and, and, and even gift them, you know, uh, for the special task at hand. And when we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we all have different gifts. Uh, uh, now, it's interesting. Paul seems to be one of the few people that had all the gifts. Now, I don't know that he had every single gift, but he seems like he did, you know. He said, I speak in tongues more than all of you, you know. First Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, he healed the sick, amen. He had the gift of discernment. He, you know... He was an apostle, which is more of an office gift and so forth. And Paul was, you know, uh, he's an apostle, though. So what's interesting, though, is, is we're, he's called not to neglect the gift that was given to him. Now, go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And look what we remember, verse 18. 
This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with what? The prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you might fight the good fight. So we know that there were prophecies made regarding Timothy, and that he's told to uh, fight the good fight. Uh, in 2 Timothy 1.6, if you want to go there, you can. Paul writes to 2 Timothy 1.6, For this reason I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Catch that? <laughs> right there, it's pretty clear, you know. Paul says to stir up the gift that's in you, that was given to you uh, through the laying on of my hands. Now, I believe it was uh, definitely by ap apostolic authority that gifts were communicated sometimes uh, by the apostles. Uh, at the same time, we see the presbytery, the elders involved in conjunction with the apostolic uh, reality. Uh, normally, gifts of the Holy Spirit are imparted simply by the Holy Spirit giving you a gift. Now, Paul's called not to neglect the gift that's been given to him. But did you know each and every Christian has at least one gift? When you're physically born, physically, you know, generally speaking, I mean, everybody's born with at least one or more physical gifts. Amen? But when you're born again, you're born with at least one spiritual gift. I know that, and I didn't take time to do that. I've done this before. But if you look at 1 Corinthians 12, if you look at Ephesians 4, if you look at Romans chapter 12, if you look at 1 Peter chapter 4, every one of those four chapters state that we've all received, we've each or all received at least a gift, one gift. So we all have at least one uh, spiritual gift. And there are seminars and books written on how to discover your spiritual gift. I personally don't believe they went to seminars and read books about how to discover your spiritual gift in, in the first century. I believe that what we need to do to discover our gifts is seek Jesus, stay in the Word, cry out to Him and pray and say, God, use me. Because I believe also we can pray for more gifts. See, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, they were abusing some of the gifts, especially the gift of tongues. Because tongues was, uh, you know, a look-at-me type gift, if you will. Uh, not that it was meant for that reason, but a lot of people wanted to be seen of men. And they would speak in tongues, even though they were not edifying the rest of the church. And Paul says, if we all speak in tongues at once and an unlearned or unbeliever person comes in and they see that happening, will they not think that you're mad? And yeah, I've given an example where I brought a sister to church, not our church, but a church where they were all doing that, and she bolted. And I had to go show her that scripture. Look, you're actually right in what you did. It says you would do this right here. Thus saith the scripture. God's word is true. Don't leave God. Don't leave his word because that church should not be doing that, you know? So long story. But uh, I gave more details on that story more recently. So it's really interesting uh, when you think about this because, uh, and I do believe that the scriptures we believe in this fellowship, we're not cessationist or sensationalist. We're biblicist. Cessationists say, oh, God doesn't do miracles anymore today like that, you know? Sensationalists say, oh, he does miracles and everybody should be doing the same miracles Paul did. Two extremes. Okay, I went through uh, some scripture last week, so I'm not going to get into it. Uh, disproving cessationism. You can go look at last week's study. Uh, sensationalism, the whole charismania thing, I also dealt with that in the last message. I'm not going to deal with it here. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the gifts, though. 
is we do want to stay away from sensationalism, though. What's sensationalism? Going beyond Scripture. Sensationalism is, going, is not going as far as Scripture. Sensationalism is going beyond Scripture. Cessationism is disobeying the Scripture that says, quench not the Spirit. It disobeys the Scripture which says, despise not prophesying. It's this, it, 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 it rejects the Scriptures. It ignores the Scriptures that say, forbid not, those who, forbid not the speaking of in tongues, 1 Corinthians 14. Sensationalism goes beyond Scripture and says, well, even though it says if we all speak in tongues at once, they'll think we're mad, we've reached a maturity level that we could still do that. Woo, that's dangerous. You know why? It's dangerous because a little bit later in 1 Corinthians 14, when Paul says, will they not think you're mad if we all speak in tongues? He says, has the scripture come only to you? Are you its sole interpreters? And he, that ignores the words I'm sharing with you, Paul says, is not ignoring me, but he's ignoring God. Woo, that's serious stuff. So you want to stay away from cessationism and sensationalism. And you want to be right down the middle, the narrow road. Amen. You want to be biblicist. So Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you guys. He goes, but if there's no interpreter, just keep quiet. Sit down and keep it between you and God. Amen? But he says, pray that you may prophesy. Amen? And prophecy isn't about just saying something in the future, although that can have that element. When you look at what the prophets did in the Old Testament, the majority of portion of what they did was not telling the future, but was exhorting people to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. Amen? It's given for admonition. It's given for encouragement. It's given for teaching. You know? So a prophetic gift could be operated without prophetic elements being about the future even. And prophecy only subsides, Paul says, when that which is perfect has come. And that which is perfect has not come yet. And last week I talked about, and we weren't on this verse, we were talking a few verses earlier, but I talked about how the two witnesses prophesy in Revelation 11. And that hasn't happened yet, has it? So to say that the gift of prophecy is gone is absolutely unbiblical. However, right now, everybody and their mother claims to be a prophet on the internet. I mean, it's just crazy how many people can't leave prophets on YouTube. And it's a bunch of mumbo-jumbo usually picking wrong events and wrong dates and all these other things. Oh, I just, you know, we see through a glass darkly. That's a misuse of that scripture. That doesn't mean you give false prophecies. That just means God hasn't shown us the whole picture yet. Amen? But they'll misuse the scripture. And that's just really, really sad, guys. So let's make sure, in the name of Jesus, that we don't get caught up in that because it tickles people's ears. Because people want to constantly hear, I'm listening to somebody who's hearing fresh from God. And it just really disturbs me. It breaks my heart, actually, how, many, how gullible a lot of professing Christians are. They'll just line up and listen to these guys. Make false prophecy after false prophecy after false prophecy. And every once in a while, they'll find an acorn, you know? Like a blind squirrel will find an acorn once in a while, right? And they'll say, oh, it's just like your horoscope. Don't, you don't have a horoscope. Do you know, according to NASA, you know, the whole... Uh, your whole sign that you're supposed to be under, whether you're Virgo or Leo or Aquarius or whatever else, isn't really what you would be under if it was even true because everything's shifted since they first developed the horoscope. So if you, all these years you thought, you're like, no wonder it's wrong. No, you're missing the point. You know, is they, They're so general, just like fortune cookies. You'll have a great day this week. And you finally have a great day of the, you know, that week. 
a fortune cookie was right. Don't fall. That's just so silly, guys. Of course, you're going to have a great day. Hopefully, one day will be greater than the others that week. That's how these guys usually prophesy on YouTube. They don't prophesy like you see in the scripture, right? That there'll be the Antichrist and he'll give out a number on the right hand or forehead. And they don't give in a lot of details usually because, and you can see it's not like scriptural prophecy at all. You know, so, so beware of that. But at the same time, recognize there are spiritual gifts. And Paul tells Timothy not to neglect the gift that's been given to him. Okay? And it's important that we don't neglect the gifts that God has given to us. And, and the Bible says in the last days, terrible times would come, right? But people would have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. You have a gift. But Paul pray, says, pray earnestly for the greater gifts. So we as a fellowship should be praying, God, give me greater gifts. You know what I pray? I don't usually pray for specific gifts, although Paul does say pray that you may prophesy. And I know prophesying looks different depending because it says there are different gifts and there are different administrations of those gifts. So you could have the same gift as somebody else, but have a different administration of that gift. Somebody might have the gift of teaching here, and this person has a gift of teaching but they have a different administration. It works differently, and God uses it differently. So it's really interesting when you look at the different spiritual gifts and how there's different administrations of those gifts. <coughs> but it's critical that you don't neglect them and that you use your gifts because you don't want to spiritually atrophied, you know, by neglecting your gift like an athlete who neglects his exercises muscles, the muscles atrophied. Now, God's gifts don't atrophy, but the use of them could atrophy, amen? And, and then we're not getting done what God wants to get done. And I'm, a, I'm a very, very strongly convinced in my heart that Christians could be doing way more than we're doing for God. But we're not crying out to him as much as we ought to be. We're not saying, Lord, use me. Help me be stronger in you. Help me to be more creative for your kingdom. Help me to reach more people for the lost. So one of the prayers that we should be praying is, God, use me to your glory, but help me not neglect the gift that you've given me. And then you don't have to stop at one or two gifts or whatever he's given you. You can be praying, Lord, give me more gifts. I pray that from time to time. Lord, gift me in ways to help the fellowship more, to help my brothers and sisters in Christ more. Strengthen, the gifts that you, strengthen me in the gifts that you've given me. And it's important that we do this as Christians so we're fruitful, so we're more and more effective. Amen. Most Christians can be far more effective than they are. And my wife always says I'm a glass half full person, but, and, and, and I pre, I'm pretty positive in Christ because I'm positive about his word and him and what he says. But I see myself sometimes as half empty when it comes to, Lord, give me more. Use me more. Because we want to be humble before him and recognize that we've never really arrived. Amen. And that keeps you hungry before the Lord. Amen. We've arrived in our salvation. But now we want to be fruitful in that salvation. So are you praying or are you neglecting the gifts that God has given you? You know, go to 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And if you have the gift of tongues, praise the Lord. You know, but make sure that you use it orderly and that you, uh, you have an interpreter if you have it, say it publicly. Don't use it to show off, you know. If God's given you a gift like that, you, you, you be humble before the Lord. You don't go up to people and say, I have the gift of tongues, do you? You know? That's just so, you know. I'd be like Doug saying to somebody, I can play guitar pretty good, man. Can you play at all? 
you know? It's like, what's up with that, you know? Doug would never say that, you know? Uh, and Doug's a really good player. Uh, but it's interesting, when you go to Romans 12, uh, look at what he says here. He talks about being just sold out, you know, to the Lord, and, uh, and, it's, and you know, offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord, right? Not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewal of your mind, the first couple of verses. And he says this based on the mercy of God. He says, I beseech you, therefore, uh, in verse 1 of chapter 12, he says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, I'm quoting the King James, but now I'm back to the NASB, uh, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. We're supposed to be involved in spiritual worship, in spiritual service. We're supposed to put ourselves on the altar. That's the problem with uh, Christian sacrifices, living sacrifices. Our bodies, they tend to wiggle off the altar sometimes. No, leave yourself on the altar before the Lord, amen, and say, no, I want to be surrendered to you, Lord. I want to be used by you. Because you get off his altar and out of his will, then you're in trouble, right? But he says, and do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what, is the will, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse 3, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Now he's going to get into Christian ministry. But one of the first things he's going to emphasize is make sure you're humble. Make sure you don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Because we're supposed to be servants. Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you must be a servant of all. Amen? And how are you going to serve others? How are you going to wash their feet? How are you going to help others out? How are you going to be tender, kind-hearted, uh, sympathetic if you're arrogant? You, you can't do it. So don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Remember that you're saved by His grace. Amen? And that you deserve hell. We all should remember that. Amen? But he says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Verse 4, For just as we have many members in one body, and all, this, and, and all the members do not have the what? Same function. We have different gifts, guys. This is what's a trip when you... You look at the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is far different than gifts of the Spirit, amen? The fruit of the Spirit is the character of Christ, Christian character. Love, peace, joy, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, right? And self-control against there, such there is no law, right? Uh, these are beautiful. These are characteristics, attributes that you want to grow in. And I'm excited about Sundays because on Sundays we're going to be all about, we've been studying the, gift, the fruit of the Spirit, and this last Sunday, we studied who the Holy Spirit is. Now, but it's different. The fruit of the Spirit is quite different than the gifts. The gifts, we don't all, we're not all to have the same gifts. We all have different functions. Isn't that good? Aren't you glad? I mean, what if your body just had one right arm and you had no other part of your body? You know? I mean, it would be kind of sad, actually. You'd be handicapped. But praise God, there's different functions that our bodies have. Well, same, with, same is true of the body of Christ. So we have different gifts. But when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, guess what? Each of us is supposed to have what? Just a couple of the pieces of fruit or all of them? All of them. See how that's different? We're called to have all the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and growing in that fruit and praying that God would ripen that fruit in our lives so we could be a blessing to God. 
But when it comes to the gifts, we have different gifts. And uh, we read, we read in verse 5, So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. You know, some are called the exhortation. They're like sheepdogs, right? You know, somebody gets out there and they're, you know, but you need to do everything in love, amen? You don't want to just be defined as a sheepdog. Well, what's your ministry? I'm a sheepdog. Okay, well, praise God, but are you anything more than a sheepdog? Because we should be loving sheepdogs if we're sheepdogs, amen? So love one another. Don't bite and devour each other either, right? So do all things in love. Or uh, he exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. You've got to give the, the gift of giving. We're all called to give, but there's certain people who have an incredible gift of giving. Uh, he who leads with diligence. So do these things, but don't neglect doing them the right way. If you're leading, uh, don't just lead haphazardly. Just wait till you know uh, things go awry. Lead as an example and be out in front of things. Amen. Uh, with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Right. So we're supposed to. You might have a gift of mercy, but all of us are called that mercy. Amen. But there are certain people who are gifted by God, by the Holy Spirit, to have a capacity of mercy that's beyond what the average Christian even experiences. Or a gift of giving or teaching. We're, just, we're looking at these. There's various gifts. And in 1 Corinthians, if we were going we to stop in just this verse and not go try to cover at least three verses in the rest of the chapter tonight, we just talk about the gifts all night, which I want to keep going on, though. But I want to encourage you to pray that God would use you. And I personally believe that God gives the gift. I don't believe he's like, this person I'm going to give this spiritual gift to, and that's it. It's locked and it's predetermined and that's it. No, I believe, based on 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, you can pray for spiritual gifts, just like you can neglect them. But I also believe this, that God sees the needs in various churches, amen, and where those churches need to be strengthened and encouraged and empowered. And then he gifts the individuals because he's sovereign, and the believers who say, use me, Lord, according to what is needed at the church. How many have built houses with us in different countries or in Mexico even? You know, aren't you glad everybody's not doing the same exact thing? Somebody picks up the saw, you know, somebody else picks up a hammer, right? I mean, you got different people doing different things, amen? But guess what? The foreman of that job is going to see where something is needed more than others, right? And the wise foreman is going to say, hey, I need you over here. Hey, can you help over there, right? And, if he, and he also might see the skill set of the person, right? Well, the Holy Spirit gives us gifts according to his will, and he sees where the needs are in a fellowship, and he can gift people, amen, and empower them so they can shore up areas of a church that needs strengthened, amen? So the best way is to be humble before the Lord and not esteem other, or yourself higher than others and say, Lord, how can I better serve here? How can I, you know, and it, it may be that you have the gift of mercy. A lot of people don't even think about the gift of mercy. The gift of mercy is huge. Ask people that need to be shown mercy. Ask people that are going through really, really hard times how important that gift is when they get ministered to by it. 
So just pray. And you could pray for specific gifts. You could say, hey, God, give me the gift of you know, liberality more. You could pray, you know, give me the gift of leadership or whatever. The gift of mercy, of faith. These are all important gifts. We're all called to mercy. We're all called to give. We're all called to have faith. But there's a, there's a capacity that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and our lives to walk in these gifts for the betterment and the strengthening of the church. And I'm encouraging you as my brothers and sisters in Christ to apply this to your lives and to be serious, take time before the Lord and pray, Lord, use me at the fellowship I'm at to strengthen it. And I like to just be humble and say, Lord, whatever that looks like. I know as a young Christian, I was like, Lord, use me to your glory. Whatever your will is, Lord, use me. I just cried out to be used by him. And he began to burn things on my heart, you know. And I wasn't a big talker before I got saved, man. And after I got saved, you couldn't shut me up about Jesus, man. And I just was devouring. How did I know I had the gift to teach? Well, you probably don't have the gift to teach if, you're, if you struggle to get in the Word of God. If you're not excited about the Word of God, you probably don't have the gift to teach. You know, I just had an excitement about the Word of God. I wanted other people to know it. I wanted them to be saved. I want those who were saved, who were wandering, to be right with God, you know. And it became like a prophetic thing because I was full of warnings, you know. And get right. But that was not something I, I, I thought, oh, I need to gin this up. No, it just burned on my heart. And I saw a huge need in the church, you know. And God's been fulfilling that need uh, to a degree, not just our fellowship, but in the body of Christ. He's used us a lot in those ways, you know, to teach the word and encourage people. But guess what? Each and every one of us has gifts here. It's the Holy Spirit. We don't do anything on our own. Apart from me, you can do nothing, but through him we can do all things, right? So you just crowd to God and say, use me. And none of us are indispensable. I mean, God forbid, but I could fall away. Oh no, that would be, it would be horrible. Yeah, it could be horrible for me, but guess what? God could God rise someone else up, right? God's risen up thousands, millions of Christians right now, amen? He wants to use us to his glory. But we don't, we can't think that, hey, that we're special. We're the vessel. The treasure is in the vessel, amen? We have these treasures, it says, in these earthen vessels. And he's the treasure in us. And the gifts he gives us are the gifts of his spirit by his grace, Amen. But pray to be used. Just the, you guys, it doesn't have to be like something, I want to be a miracle worker, you know? I want to just wave my hand and see everybody fall down so people can see how powerful I am, like Benny Hinn. It's like, then it just gets ridiculous, guys. It's not about being seen of man. It's not about, you know, just, you know, uh, you know false signs and wonders. It's about edifying each other, building each other up. God wants to meet the needs of the church. Amen? And he does it by uh, gifting us in various ways. Now, you know what? Tony left. He went to Tennessee. Big changes. The worship team, you know. And now we've got, praise God, we're getting our worship team together. It's taken a little bit of time. Uh, but uh, we've got some beautiful worship, you know. Uh, Gerald and Doug leading, you know, uh, the worship and so forth. Doug, Doug's you know, our worship leader along with Gerald and so forth and other people. And it's beautiful. But guess what? Maybe there's some of you out there that can sing really well, but you're hoarding your gift. And you only share it with the shower. You know? <laughs> well, that's messed up. If you've got a really, really good gift and you love Jesus, man, let them know. But also be willing to take some criticism if it just doesn't sound as good as it does in the shower to them. You know? So... 
got to be a little careful here, you know. Uh, but hey, might as well try out, you know. Uh, maybe, you know, you can play an instrument really, really well, but people just don't know it, you know. Uh, we could sure shore up this worship team, amen, you know. One of the things Doug and I have been talking about recently is every week on a Sunday, we're going to have a different worship team come up. Maybe Doug's going to be leading it or Gerald's going to be leading it, you know, a few different brothers, and then they'll be helping each other out, and then we'll have a full-blown worship team again like we did for years, right, on, a, on Sunday mornings. But that's, a, that's an important thing, that we have people that lead worship up here that are serious about it and using their gifts for the Lord. I mean, there's the, the, the lost people in the world, you know, they sell their souls to be seen of men, and they give their whole hearts into demonic stuff. How much more should we be giving our hearts into the kingdom of God, amen, and playing for the Lord, amen? amen. The psalmist said to play the, the liar skillfully, you know, and we're, we're called to excel in these things. Now, guess what? Is there ministry? There's children's ministry, Maybe even gifted with a certain set of gifts to where God's really helped giving you a love for children or ability to communicate to them and show them kindness and encourage them in the truth. Well, get involved in, in children's church, you know. Get more involved with encouraging. Uh, be there, you know. Especially if you're a mom or even a dad, maybe. Say, pray and say, Lord, do you want me to be in that rotation? And, uh, you know, we're doing good. We don't have a lot of needs there right now, as far as I know. I mentioned that to Yasmin recently. She said we're okay right now. But always be ready, amen? And uh, because guess what? You never know. So it's interesting. Uh, just be involved, amen, in the fellowship. Now, it's interesting as well because go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Because this is where Paul talks about this as well with regarding the gifts 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul writes to Timothy, and this is his second letter to Timothy, for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh. That's, for many, many years, that little phrase, stir up in the King James, kindle afresh in the NASB, kind of arrested me, my consciousness, and I've really meditated often on that through the years. Kindle afresh the What? The gift of God which is in you through the what? Laying on of my hands, 2 Timothy 1.6. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. In the context there is Paul's talking about the grace that's enabled Timothy. And how Paul has taught Timothy and Timothy is to teach others who are to teach others to continue expanding discipleship, winning more and more people to Christ, strengthening them in the body of Christ and so forth. And he wants them to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you. Many of you have, now you have at least one gift, right? How many gifts do you have at least? One. You need to be kindling that gift afresh, man. And it's interesting, a really, really, really interesting Greek word that's translated there, kindle afresh. It's a compound word. And usually a compound word, when we talk about compound words, are two words that are made into one. This is three words made into one word, okay? There's, it's ana, which uh, the, the first part of the word, uh, it carries the idea of doing an action over again, repeating an earlier action. So you got the idea of repeating an action. Uh, then there's a Zeus, not Z-U-E-S, not the god Zeus, but just 
the word uh, is from the word zao, okay? And it means to be enthusiastic, to be passionate, to be excited, to be fervent. So he wants Timothy to repeat again the idea about being enthusiastic in regard to the gift that's been given to him. And then the word per is the third word. And it's the Greek word for fire, okay? So the idea there is that Timothy is supposed to stir up this gift in him uh, and to be enthusiastic about it, right? And do it again. Be enthusiastic about it again and get that gift going for God's service and to be on fire in regard to serving God and not to lose his fire. It's imperative that as Christians that we refuse to lose our fire. And the idea there, in fact, you know what? Certain translations bring out the Greek, which I think make this really, really uh, interesting. And, And we're talking about, you know, Means it's being translated as stir up. Uh, the, the English Standard Version, the New International Version, the New Living Translation uh, have it have it fan it into fan into flames the gift. They translated all three of those translations. Fan into flames the gift, right? Uh, and uh, the Holman Christian Standard Bible translates it translates it translates it keep ablaze the gift. The Christian Standard Bible and the New Revised Standard Version translate it. Kindle the rekindle the gift, rekindle the gift, and I like I like it when the word ablaze, uh, kindle come into view because it brings the idea of fire out, and we're supposed to be on fire for Jesus, Amen. So He wants you to be on fire for Him. He doesn't want you to lose your fire. Well, I've been a Christian for two years, Joe. Of course, I'm not being as on fire. I don't know, man. I've been a Christian a long time. Since I was 18, I'm 60 now. And I feel like I have a fire in my heart for God still and his people. And that's because I seek to obey these scriptures. And I say, Lord, you know, stir up the embers. Right now, it's kind of cold lately, right? So you can appreciate it. Anybody have a fireplace here? Anybody? Do you appreciate your fireplace this time of year? You know? I used to have a house where, I mean, now we have one of those ones you turn on. It's kind of on the side, you know, it don't really get used much, you know. But I used to have a house when I lived on Abilene, and it was a big old fireplace with a huge hearth with used brick, you know, just, and I just, and it was huge. And I just loved chucking wood in there, man, and especially oak, because it just burned all night long and just get warmed by the fire. It's so beautiful. Take my guitar out and sing songs with my children and my wife and just praise songs and worship together. And, but, uh, what happens, you know, when you're outside and it's really cold and there's only a few ember, embers left and the fire is dying down, but the night's not over? What do you do? You stir them up. You stir those embers up. Amen. And you add fuel. Amen. And that's what the Lord wants you to do and me to do. He wants us to stir up those embers in our heart, the gifts that God's given us, saying, Lord, you know what? And, and pray. Because, you know, when you pray, it's like breathing almost, right? As far as spiritual power goes, you're crying out to be strengthened by God. Not yoga, but I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to pray in the Spirit, amen? And the more we cry out to the Lord and surrender to Him and pray 
in the name of Jesus to the Father to be filled with the Spirit and used by His Spirit, the more we kindle the gifts that He's given us in our hearts and the more we're used by God to His glory. And if you feel stagnant lately, I mean, you ever get to that point where you feel like, man, I feel like the embers are kind of burning low right now. Stir them up, man. Stir them up. Give them some new fuel. The Bible, how do I get more fuel? The Bible says, Jeremiah says, your word's a hammer, amen? And it is a hammer, man. But he also says, your word's a fire, amen? So open up his word, man, and get fired up. Pray and get fired up. Because you don't want to lose the light of your lamp. Remember the ten bridesmaids? Jesus talked about the coming tribulation period. He said to Peter, James, John, and Andrew, we know that's who he's talking to, Mark 13, in the Olivet Discourse. He warned them that the times were going to come when it's getting really gnarly on the earth and people would be putting you to death thinking that they're doing God's service and the love of many would grow cold and lawlessness will increase. And he said to them, when you see the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place, which was spoken of by the prophet Daniel, flee to the mountains, amen? Take off, because it's going to get crazy. And if Jesus doesn't come back when he's going to come back, he said no flesh would be saved. Everybody would be wiped out. Yet at the same time, around the world while this was going down, people would still be eating and drinking and living like it was the days of Noah before the flood came, right? Even way into the tribulation period, in Revelation 18, 6, God says to his people, come out of her, my people, lest you partake of her sins and of her what? Her plagues, the wrath of God come out of her. So a lot of the church is going to be in a drunken stupor, the professing church. There'll be the false church called the whore of Babylon. Amen. Satan's church, the, the, the counterfeit kingdom, the counterfeit church, those who claim to follow Christ but will be trying to build the kingdom of God on this earth and proclaim the Antichrist as God as he sits at the temple. It'd be a great deception. But a lot of professing Christians will be in danger because Jesus said at that time in Luke chapter 21, which is also the Olivet Discourse, pray that you have strength at that time. Why? To escape these things. He's not talking about it by rapture, because the word is ekfugo, escape. Ekfugo doesn't mean uh, ek. Remember the preposition ek? Out from within. When you look at the word ekfugo, how it's used throughout the New Testament, like in the book of Acts, Paul escapes, you know, uh, out of uh, the city by being lowered down in a basket. He was once there, then he got out of it. Amen? That, so it implies that you'll be in the tribulation, but he's talking about escaping the deceptions. You know what deceptions he talks about there? They're not the false Christ, the false prophets and all those things. Jesus warned about that for sure. We have to escape those things, right? So I believe his warning pertains to those things as well. But he says, make sure that none of you are overwhelmed, overcome with drunkenness and overindulgence in the things of this world. Amen? And that you might escape. That you, he says he might have strength to escape. That's not a rapture. I don't need strength to be raptured. Amen? I just need Jesus to come. Amen? But he's talking about strength to endure those times and then stand before the Son of Man. In other words, not to be caught up in drunkenness, not to be caught up in worldliness, not to be overcome by the worries of this world. In fact, if you want to, you can turn there. We'll just read it really quickly because it's a powerful uh, passage. And in, there in Luke chapter uh, 21, 
And I think it's verse 34, if my memory serves me right. I wasn't even planning on going here, but it just came to my mind when I was sharing. And I have enough notes to where I don't have to worry about going over tonight. Like that's never a concern, right? Yeah, Luke 21. Uh, Yeah, go ahead and pick it up at verse 34. Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life and that the day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth. But keep what? On the alert at all times. Praying that you may have strength to, you have, may have what? Strength. We need strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. I believe that would include the deceptions, false Christ, false prophets, all those things. But the immediate context right there has to do with the worries of life, drunkenness, things of this world. We need to be praying. And you know what Pete Jude says? Praying in the Holy Spirit to keep yourselves in the love of God. And what can happen is when we lose the love of God, we start succumbing to the things of the world. Amen? And that's what happens. The bridesmaids, all ten of them fall asleep. All of them. And then they hear the midnight cry, you know. And by the way, just for context's sake, when you look at 21, if you look at standing before the Son of Man, what's he talking about? Back up a few verses and you'll see he's talking about the Son of Man coming in glory at the end of the tribulation period with his mighty angels. Just a few verses before that. So he's talking about his second coming at the end of the tribulation that we want to make sure that we endure that time. And whether that happens in our lifetime or whether it's just your life as today and you go to see Jesus when you die, we want to make sure we escape the things of this world that seek to draw us away from Christ, the worries of life. Are you bound up by worry? Is worry overwhelming you right now? Look to Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God. I try to tell people, And this is how you can counsel people. It's a great way to counsel people when they're full of anxiety and worry. Of course, you go to the verses. We love to cast your cares on him because he cares for you, 1 Peter. You know, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Don't be anxious for anything, but in all things, you know, right? What do you do? Cast your cares or give your anxieties to him, right? He cares for you, give you the peace that passes human understanding, right? Cast your cares on him with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to him. It'll give you the peace that passes. That's all good. But you know what I love a lot? And it's very simple. When Jesus talks about not being, not, don't be a worrier, man. He points to the birds. He says the Father takes care of them. He points to the flowers. God takes care of them. And then you know how he tells them to overcome, how to overcome worry and anxiety? He says, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things, meaning your needs will be added to you. Put Jesus first. Hallowed be your name. Pray that in the morning. Pray that throughout the day. If you start to worry, hallowed be your name. Help me seek your kingdom first. Help me glorify you. And guess what? You just put Jesus first and everything falls into place. Isn't that awesome? How do I know that? I've been serving him for a long time. He's never let me down. We don't always understand what he's doing, but we understand that he's good and that he loves us. and He'll get us through everything. Amen? So don't worry, don't freak out, give it to God. Now it's interesting because when Paul speaks here and writes as he does, uh, he wants us to be fired up. But you remember what happened with the ten bridesmaids? What happened when they woke up? 
Were they on fire? Were their lamps lit? They all went out. Right? Except what? Only five had oil, right? Only five. Amen. Five of them had oil. But five went out. And that's a sad commentary. And they went around looking they, you know, for oil. Somebody, they first they said, hey, give us oil. They said, the five they had said, if I give you my oil, I won't have enough for myself. So they went out to try to find the oil. And then the door was shut and it was too late. They knocked, Lord, open to us. He doesn't say, I never knew you there. He says of these folks, I don't know you. It's too late. Don't let your fire go out. Amen. Don't let your fire go out. Rekindle the gifts that are in you. And by the way, what's the significance of a lamp? And what's the significance of the oil? What does a lamp represent in Scripture? What's it a metaphor for? Well, the church, there's seven lampstands. So that's one of the metaphors for sure. But thy word is a lamp to my feet and a what? Light on my path. And they're supposed to be the church. They're supposed to be the lit up lamps. But they dozed off and they weren't meditating on the word anymore. They weren't focusing the word anymore. And what's oil a picture of? We just studied this last Sunday. We're looking at the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, amen. And I'm not going to get into those scriptures. I just did Sunday in a totally different message on the Holy Spirit. But it's similar to the Holy Spirit. So these are people, 10 of them, they all have lamps. They're all going out to meet the bridegroom. But half of the church, if that represents the church, which I believe it does, falls away at that point. And Jesus says many, prior to that, just before that, he said many will fall away in Matthew 24. Don't be among those who fall away. Keep your fire for God. Don't neglect the gifts that he's given you. Keep seeking to be used by God. Amen? You know, and when things get tough, a lot of people will betray one another. That's what Jesus says is going to happen. Decide in your heart right now, I'm not going to be a betrayer, man. I'm going to be a lover, a, a lover of Jesus, a lover of souls. Amen? I'm not going to allow my love to grow cold. You need to, you need to speak to yourself in the name of Jesus and, and, and tell yourself, oh, my soul, right? Worship him. Amen? When things get tough, man, you, get, you, you just remain strong in the Lord. In fact, in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, man, they were in jeopardy. A lot of them were falling away because they were getting persecuted. And a lot of them were going back to Judaism because they were being persecuted by others. And being kicked, they were kicked out of the synagogues and all these things. And you know what? They were called to warn not to fall away, but encouraged to stimulate just like Paul says, kindle afresh the gift that's within you. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. And look at what he says here in verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to what? Love and good deeds. We're supposed to be considering how... Now think about this. Do you obey this verse? This is written to not pastors, not elders, not deacons. This is written to not Sunday school teachers. Written to everybody, including them. We're, we're told in Scripture to what? What does it say? What does verse 24 tell you and me? And let us consider how to stimulate one another to what? Love and good deeds. That means you have a ministry... 
I have a ministry where I'm supposed to think about, consider how I can stimulate my brothers and sisters to love more and to do more works for God's glory. Amen? Now the best place to start is what Paul tells Timothy. Be a what? Be an example. Amen? Be an example. Make sure you're doing it first. Amen? Then encourage others to just walk in love. Somebody comes to you and they're having a hard time forgiving someone or they're just, just you know, in the flesh, lovingly, lovingly rebuke them. Say, hey, don't, don't go that route, bro. I love you, man. But just let's pray for that person. Or you need to confront that person. Maybe that person's off. You need to go to them, you know. But we need to make sure we have no unnecessary divisions in our fellowship. You know, the scriptures say there, there's going to be some divisions among you to show who's approved. Some people just be off. But the Bible says, mark those who cause division, not according to sound doctrine, and avoid them. So if somebody's preaching false doctrine and trying to shove it down your throat, then you can't fellowship with them. You're supposed to avoid them. But, we're not, but what we're supposed to do is the best we can to be of the same mind, amen, and walk in love toward each other. But we're supposed to consider to lo- how to love people more and how to stimulate each other to good works. Do you do that? That means you should be saying, Lord, help me to encourage people. Help me in the gifts you've given me to help people walk in love, to help people be involved in doing good things. And sometimes it might be, hey, I'm going witnessing. You want to go? Hey, let's go do this together. I love it, man, when brothers and sisters come up with, you know, I love that Larry came up with the idea, hey, you know, I want to just, you know, set up shop in Moore Park and invite kids, you know. I want to go to the nursing homes. And so where those are good, and he invites people. And by, by saying yes, if you can do that, if you feel led, you know, I mean, not saying we're all called the same ministry, we all have different ministries, but make sure you're doing things for Jesus, amen? So stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And look what he says in verse 25. Not what? Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now what, what, in, what harmony is there between encouraging one another and not forsaking the fellowship. Perfect harmony. Because how can I encourage people if I'm not in fellowship? Amen? We need to be in fellowship with other Christians if we're going to be able to encourage them. We need to be communicating with them. Amen? So don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together. And praise the Lord. Here you are today. You know? So God is good. Amen? Now, it's interesting because Let's go to verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Remember, Paul's telling Timothy how to be what? An example, amen? How to be an example. So he says, hey, this is how you be an example, Timothy. You don't neglect the gifts that are in you, you know, the gift that's been given to you, you know. And you do, you do all these things. But he says, be absorbed in these things. In the Greek, the word absorbed isn't in the Greek. Literally in the Greek, it just says, be in these things. Well, I think putting the word absorbed there just strengthens that idea. Be absorbed in these things. But he wants us to be into these things, guys. <clears throat> he wants you to be in <clears throat> to uh, using your gift for God's glory. Don't spend your time spinning your wheels for the duration of your professed Christian faith where you don't do anything for God's glory and you bury your talent. Remember the guy that buried his talent? That's also in Matthew 24 and 25. They buried his gift, you know? It's a picture of the gifts that God's given us. Don't do that. 
Verse 16. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Wow. Pay what? Close attention to yourself and to your teaching. As Christians, it's important that we examine ourselves. The Bible says, judge yourself so you will not be judged. You guys, judgment begins, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4, at the house of God. It says judgment begins at the house of God. If the righteous are scarcely saved, where shall the wicked be on the day of judgment? Whew, that's powerful, man. But if you judge yourself so you're not judged, you're going to say, God, I want to be right with you so I don't have to get spanked. So I don't have to get judged. So I don't have to get cut off. So we need to judge ourselves. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul said, Examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith, for Christ is in you, unless you are what? Reprobate. Unless you're given over to just a reprobate mind and just rejecting Christ, doing your own thing. So you examine yourself. You say, am I in the faith? Do I have the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Am I walking? And if you're not walking, you need to what? Repent. Turn, return to the Lord. Amen? And do those things you did at first. So pay a close attention to yourself and to your teaching. So you, you look at your walk, your behavior. Am I following Jesus? If Am I on the straight and narrow? Am I going forward seeking Jesus? Or am I on the broad road that leads to destruction? And then you also don't just look at yourself. You look also at your, your teaching. Paul's telling Timothy, look at yourself, Timothy. Watch yourself and your teaching. And what's, what's that all about? Well, what were the qualifications for an elder in 1 Timothy chapter 3? A lot of it had to do with their lifestyle, their behavior, and their teaching. Remember that? He's kind of summing it up. Watch your life, your behavior, and your teaching. What's the benefit of that? Well, he says in verse 16, pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. Persevere. Persevere means continue. Continue in these things. For as long as you do this, you will what? Ensure what? Salvation, Salvation both for yourself and for those who what? Hear you. Isn't that interesting? Watch your life. Pay close attention to your life and to your teaching. Don't get involved in false teaching. I mean, it's all out there, man. Just look at the prosperity gospel. Just look at Bethel. Just look at all the new doctrines that people get their ears tickled by that they just flood the internet with. Watch your life. Make sure you're living a holy life. You're living for Jesus. And watch your teaching. Persevere or continue in these things. And in so doing, you will both save yourself and those who hear you. Isn't that interesting? Charles uh, Ellicott uh, I hope I wrote down the quote. I thought I did. It was such a good quote from Mr. Ellicott. He's a 19th century. Uh, he wrote. I, I like what he wrote about this. I'm looking for it right now, and I'm not seeing it. But it was just really good. But he basically said the day of salvation is the day of judgment. You know, uh, that's final salvation. You know, and what and what he said in the quote, which I can't find. Why can't I find that? I know I. Copied and pasted it because I loved it. Uh, anyway, he basically said that uh, the good minister, you know, will basically continue in these things to ensure not only the salvation of those who hear him as congregation, but the pastor himself, you know. And 
It wasn't like a great revelation what he said, but I like the way he worded it. But it's really interesting, you guys. Uh, he's talking about final salvation. The Bible talks about how we have been saved, right? And we are being saved. And he that endures to the end will what? Be saved. Paul says our salvation, our final salvation, is nearer to us than when we first believed. Amen? So we have that final salvation. And it's not talking about how you're going to like save yourself, like I saved myself from sins. You can never save yourself. What Paul, what's Paul talking about? What did Peter say? He told the wicked generation, that wicked generation of people he was preaching to in Acts 2 to, 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 to repent, right? And save yourselves. Well, that's strange language, save yourselves. Well, he doesn't mean save yourself in the sense of pull yourself by your own bootstraps and work your way to heaven. No. He's talking about surrendering to Jesus, who can save you. It's like somebody fighting to get out of a life raft, right? And, and, and go back to where the sharks are, back to the vomit. And you save yourself by allowing God to save you, amen? By trusting Jesus. That's quite a word picture, a vomit of, an ocean of vomit. didn't really mean to mix those metaphors up. But, uh, <laughs> but brothers and sisters, it's imperative that we continue in the faith. Amen? And notice the word. Notice the word there. Pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. Then what? Persevere. Okay? In these things. And as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. And we can't be saved outside of the grace of God, the shed blood of Christ and his resurrection, amen? But if we don't continue in the faith, right? Peter says, I'm sorry, Hebrews says, he warns about, you know, how could, how could we neglect such a great salvation? And he warns not to drift away from it in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Amen? And listen to these texts and let them just... Settle in your hearts, because this was apostolic preaching, a continual emphasis to continue in the faith. In Acts chapter 11, uh, they were uh, told, and it's interesting what they're told here, in verse 23, uh, then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Ooh, Acts 13, listen to this. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging, uh, begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now, when meeting, uh, uh, the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, listen to this, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. Listen to Acts 14. After, all, uh, after they had preached the gospel to the city, and it made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. To what? Continue in the faith. And saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Just two more. Romans eleven twenty two. Behold then, Paul says, the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell, severity. But to you, God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Colossians 1, 21 through 23. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. So he's going to present us to God, Right? Righteous before God. Yes, but listen to verse 23. If you indeed continue in the faith, 
firmly established and steadfast and, not, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. So brothers and sisters, it's imperative. Yeah, we're going to go through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. Amen? We're going to go through many trials. And maybe the great tribulation if it happened in our lifetime. But we must continue in the faith and not be moved away from the hope of the gospel. Amen? And that's why Paul ends that chapter, you know, watch your life, watch your behavior. Are you watching your behavior? Are you involved in evil behavior that you need to repent of? I encourage you to repent of it in the name of Jesus. Watch your doctrine. Are you giving in to strange doctrines just because they tickle your ears? Don't do it. And Paul says to Timothy, in so doing, he will ensure his own salvation and the salvation of those who hear him. I labor before you as a pastor who loves you very, very dearly, who prays for you very often, prays for my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I labor to make sure that I you know, pay close attention to my own walk and, the, and the, my brothers and sisters and my teaching because I want to make sure I'm right with God. And I want to make sure you're right with God. Amen? Father God, I thank you so much for all my brothers and sisters here today. And I pray in your son's name that you would just kindle afresh the gifts that you've given each of us. And Father, I pray in your son's name that you would give us more gifts by your grace that we might better build up the fellowship here, Father. That we better build up the body of Christ uh, throughout Simi Valley, throughout the state, throughout the nation, throughout the world, Father. Continue to use uh, the preaching from this pulpit. Continue to use each brother and sister here that encourages others and help us to encourage people more. Help us stimulate people, Father, to love and to good deeds, Father. Help us to persevere in the faith. Help us to be like that last soil in the parable of the soils who held fast the word and persevered and bore much fruit to your glory, Father. Father, we pray that as we get into chapter 5 that you continue to speak to us, encourage us, and strengthen us and help us to be the men and women that you've called us to be. We thank you for the gift of eternal life which comes through faith in your Son. And we pray if there's anybody here who does not know Jesus, that they'd recognize that he paid for their sins, he rose again, and that if they repent and turn to him and put their trust in him, they'll pass from death to life. In Jesus' name, amen.